Hi friends, welcome back to the State Tax Show, your home for the world of state and local tax. I'm Matt Hunsaker. On today's show, a roundtable on what's going on with taxes on digital advertising. I'm wondering whether the coronavirus situation, which is causing legislatures to to mm-hmm. put the tap the brakes on passing anything, whether that could end up being serendipitous and causing a delay on any further activity in this area around the country that would allow legislators to step back and say, okay, is this what we really want to do? And if we do, is there a better way that we can do it with much less uncertainty? I could see this going the opposite way, which is legislatures are seeing vast dips in revenue and yet greater demands on their resources. And so they're going to be looking for a quick fix. And I'm a little concerned that laws like this could be rushed through as a, oh, we can solve our problems by socking big tech. Many of you have been clamoring for a robust show on the latest trend of states taxing digital advertising. To do this issue justice, we really need to understand how digital advertising actually works. So I brought my partner, Jerry Ferguson, into the virtual studio to educate us. And to offset his immense brain power, I had to bring in a couple of my state tax colleagues. Here's our conversation. Well, I am joined in studio, virtual studio today, by Jerry Ferguson, who is our expert in all things with digital advertising in our New York office. I'm also joined by Mike Sims, a state tax lawyer in our Philadelphia office. And last but not least, Dave Ebersall, a state tax attorney in our Columbus office. Thank you guys for joining today. Great to be here, Matt. Thanks. Let's turn uh, to digital advertising taxes for a moment. And Mike, do you think that you could tell us a little bit about what kind of digital advertising taxes are out there and a little bit, a little bit about how those taxes work? Sure, Matt. Um, right now, we have bills pending in Maryland and New York and Nebraska. And they are essentially gross receipts taxes on digital advertising. So right now we have three taxes pending. And if I'm not mistaken, Maryland's kind of out in front of the three states. Could, could you maybe walk us through with a, just a little bit more detail how the that Maryland tax is structured? Yeah, I'll turn that over to Dave because Dave is uh, the one who's been spending a little more time on the details of Maryland. Right. So thank you, Mike. The Maryland tax is a gross receipts tax. So this is a little bit different uh, model than we've seen in New York and Nebraska, where um, they've extended their sales and use taxes for a new 
um, taxable service of digital advertising in New York and Nebraska. And there's even a fourth state that's kind of in on this game, West Virginia. They, they've passed a data mining tax that levies a tax on commercial data operators that generate revenue from the use of uh, user data. Um, but back to the Maryland tax, this is a standalone gross receipts tax on digital advertising that is levied on any company that has $1 million or more of annual gross receipts from digital advertising services in Maryland and a second component, $100 million or more of worldwide annual gross revenue. And so that second component isn't uh, tailored to Maryland or just advertising, it's, it's total revenue. So is that meant to pick up the, the bigger players? That's right. And I think it's worth noting that these taxes have become a little trendy. Um, and, and the impetus for that has been uh, an op-ed uh, last year uh, written by economist Paul Romer. It, and what he did is he took issue with these large uh, tech companies, the Googles, the Amazons, the Facebooks of the world, and their use of user data. And, and what he proposed is taxation to change their behavior as opposed to antitrust regulation that might be resolved through a court system. So this is a very controversial topic with viewpoints on all sides. And we've seen states adopting these proposals for those policy reasons. As of recording, the governor of Maryland has not yet vetoed this tax. Can you tell us where we go from here if he does end up vetoing the tax, which I believe could even be as of the time we're recording? Right, Matt. It could be as as earlier as early as today. The Maryland General Assembly passed uh, this tax on on March 18th, and the governor is expected. Larry Hogan is expected to veto it, um, and it could be as early as today. And it's worth noting that the General Assembly passed this bill with a supermajority, um, and 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 the requisite supermajority that would re be required to override those to that veto if it occurs. Where are we at procedurally with the lawmaking in the other states? Those are still in proposed uh, legislation in bill format in, in Nebraska and New York and West Virginia. So, um, you know, still looking for developments there. One of the questions I have for you, Dave, and Mike, feel free to jump in here. Looking at the Maryland tax, the tax requires you to identify receipts are, that are from advertising in Maryland. How does the statute accomplish that? Well, <laughs> I, I guess the short answer is that it doesn't, right? It, it, it punts things off to the comptroller in Maryland to identify just how um, these receipts would be cited to uh, Maryland. An earlier version of the bill had um, adopted a method using IP addresses, but that, that was later scrapped uh, in favor of, of leaving it up to the administrative agency. Somehow the advertisers, advertisers are going to have to know where the population is located, who's looking at the ads. What are your thoughts about how that balances out with companies' needs for uh, privacy? I think that's an excellent question. And I find it ironic that the initial motivation for these taxes was privacy because 
I could see this actually having a effect of decreasing consumer privacy. And um, I'm probably less concerned on the privacy issue uh, to the extent that digital advertising is being consumed from a uh, a user's computer in that that would be associated with an IP address that could be associated with a specific region. How we're going to apply this concept in the in the mobile context is much more troubling for me. I mean, mobile devices by their very nature can be taken anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. Are we really going to try and track that? And if we are to try and track where the advertising is being consumed, uh, you know, the the level of location tracking that would be required is very contrary to what a lot of privacy advocates are, are demanding right now, which is less location tracking, less awareness of big tech as to where individuals are. Jerry, can you explain to us economically how those taxes are going to be borne? And that may require you to explain to us a little bit about how the digital economy works. Happy to do so. And you're right. I think it is useful to start with a high-level discussion of how the digital economy works. When, when David Mike first started explaining this proposed law to me, what was immediately evident to me is that whoever had a role in drafting this legislation has little or no idea how digital advertising works. This the the statute, the Maryland statute in particular, seems to be drafted on an assumption that there is this single transaction where an advertiser is selling to a publisher, or actually, I'm sorry, the other way around, publishers uh, selling space to an advertiser. But nothing could be farther from the truth. If you, Mike, as a user, go to a website, click on a page, in fractions of a second a whole string of very complex transactions are taking place amongst a number of companies to decide what ad is going to be delivered to you. This complex web of transactions is often referred to as programmatic advertising because it's it's done uh, according to algorithms that are put in place and the participants, without going into all the detail, just to give a high-level understanding of the type of participants, the, the publishers tend to work with ad networks that help them shop the space that is available on their web pages or mobile pages. The ad networks tend to uh, work then with ad exchanges that act as an intermediary or between the publishers and the, and the parties representing the advertisers, although there may be other parties inserted into that exchange between the ad network and the ad exchange, maybe data suppliers, there may be analytics suppliers who are all contributing to that decision of what ad is going to be served on a particular page. The publisher's representatives who are often referred to as Supply-side providers are interacting with demand-side providers who, are, again, are helping 
the advertisers reach pages that are appropriate and and not just pages users because there is a there is a profile associated with a particular user and so all of this web of transactions taking place so that advertiser can reach a user with an ad that's of interest to that user the advertisers are working with agencies who are working with media blind buying platforms who are working with uh, demand side platforms who are all in fractions of a second engaging in an auction process in terms of which of the potential advertisers are going to pay the most for that particular advertisement that's going to be shown to a particular user who's clicked on a page. The reason why I want to emphasize this is it's not just one transaction. It's not just one participant. There could be five, 10, 15 more participants in the service of a particular ad. And under this structure, they all might be taxed. So there's, there's, there's kind of this multiple taxation when a single transaction becomes a very significant risk here. Now, I understand that they've tried to tailor this to go after big tech because that's a popular target. And so you have to hit certain revenue thresholds before this tax is triggered for a particular company. But again, there may be multiple participants who do reach the thresholds. So you're going to get this multiplying effect on the tax. And you will also, I think, take for granted that the big participants are going to be passing their costs all through the digital ecosystem so that small players who maybe are an intended beneficiary of this legislation are not going to be seeing any benefit. Jerry, I'll tell you what my thought is so far is I, if I were working for the Maryland controller and this tax were to pass and I was put on the committee to come up with a regulation to source all this stuff, I would quit or retire. (laughs) It, It sounds extraordinarily complex and from reading through the statutes and even a lot of the commentary on these proposed statutes, I don't think anyone has any idea just how complex these transactions are. I think that's true. And I I think that uh, the digital advertising industry really needs to understand what's at play here and needs to take upon itself this education role, because uh, this is a tax that could do damage to the functioning of the industry. It's going to raise costs within the industry. But I think it's also predictable that at the end of the day, these costs are going to be passed on to businesses. Let's focus on Maryland businesses that are trying to sell goods and services into Maryland, which means that the businesses will pass on these costs to the Maryland residents who want to buy and consume this service. Uh, It's really hard to, it's something that the industry will be very readily able to do because they're going to be required to source their Maryland-based income. They can, using 
geolocation and other technologies really ring fence at a certain expense to a certain geographic location. And I think it's highly predictable that industry will raise costs to pay that tax, which will be passed on to the end consumer. So I mean, to the extent that legislatures are viewing this as a kind of a free way to generate revenue without uh, doing something that would be unpopular back home, uh, it's directly foreseeable that the that the local businesses and the local consumers will ultimately be paying for this tasks. And I think that's a, an excellent point for the legislatures of these states to understand that this is not going to be a tax exporting uh, function, but that they very well will be raising taxes on their own citizenry. And Matt, if if I could it seems to me that this is not only going to be passed on to the consumers, but what Jerry was pointing out is that there's also a pyramiding within who is going to be subject to tax because there are going to be multiple taxes within the daisy chain, if you will, of digital advertising. Yeah, it seems like uh, this is, if you look at it from a pure consumption tax design the, it's kind of a terrible tax because of the the pyramiding, which I don't think that anyone who has written these taxes has really even considered. Now let's look forward a little bit and let's just assume that this tax and taxes similar to it do pass. What are some of the arguments that taxpayers might put forth to avoid paying the tax or having the tax struck down? That's a great question. And I think it's worth noting that we've seen something similar to this before. So even if the Maryland tax does become law, we've seen a, a regular advertising tax uh, that was passed in Florida in 1987. And the legislature there actually rescinded the tax because of the effect that it was having on national advertisers outside of Florida who descended upon Florida to say, hey, you know, what's going on here? And so I think it's important to keep in mind that even if we see this tax enacted in Maryland or in other states, there still could be a, a legislative remedy before we see um, courts even stepping in because courts you know, are not the uh, fastest when it comes to providing justice at times. You know, the old adage is justice delayed is, is justice denied. And I'm not sure if it would be denied here in this case, but we certainly would see legal challenges under a number of theories. And, and how exactly that would play out would be very interesting. One of those theories would be under a law called the Permanent Internet Tax Freedom Act. This was a law that was uh, initially passed on a temporary basis in 1998 and has since become permanent. But the thrust of it is really just to prevent state taxation from impeding access to the information superhighway to opening the internet up to the uh, masses. And so it prohibits, quote, discriminatory state taxes against electronic commerce. And, and, and so what that means is that a state can't tax digital goods and services differently than it would tax traditional goods and services. So in the context of the Maryland tax, Maryland would be taxing digital advertising 
and we don't know exactly what that means, by the way. You know, it's, it's bannered advertising, search engine advertising, interstitial advertising, and other comparable advertising services. But they're taxing some, some type of digital advertising services, but not other traditional types of advertising, like your billboards or your classified ads. So that disparity there, taxing digital advertising, but not taxing the traditional non-digital advertising, is that what is going to cause a problem with the Permanent Internet Tax Freedom Act? That's right. That's, that's a big glaring uh, problem for, for the tax, tax geeks out there who, who are following these developments. What about on the constitutional side? Uh, what kind of constitutional arguments might taxpayers raise? Well, one of the interesting components about this tax is its rate structure, right? I mentioned earlier that you need to fulfill two requirements to be subject to this tax, one of them being $1 million in revenue generated from these Maryland digital advertising services, and the other being that you have over $100 million in total gross receipts from wherever derived, from whatever services derived. And this creates an issue under the Commerce Clause, the Dormant Commerce Clause doctrine, you know, that's designed to prevent uh, impediments to free trade among the states, right? And so this rate structure would impose a higher tax rate for large companies that exceed the $1 million threshold in Maryland advertising, but they may not be doing as much Maryland advertising as a smaller company focused in Maryland. So, so the effect uh, could be that an out-of-state global company would be paying a higher tax rate than an in-state smaller company. And, and that type of discrimination against an out-of-state company is, is what this doctrine is designed to prevent. And so that, that could be another big problem uh, for this tax if it becomes law. Let's say that it does become law and it becomes necessary for digital advertisers to raise these arguments. Let's talk about the forums for relief. So maybe we start with federal courts. What, what are the issues that uh, digital advertisers might face in raising these issues in federal court? Right. So th there's going to be a number of issues, uh, preliminary issues in federal or state court, ho however the litigation might be brought. And in federal court, we'd see a lot of, quote, jurisdictional issues with um, federal decision making over state taxes. If you go back to you know the founding of the country and our federalist structure, state taxes have a little bit of a different treatment from other laws because power to raise revenue goes to the central tenant of state sovereignty. And, and along with that is not just the enactment of the tax, but the administration of it and, and deciding uh, tax controversies in, in state courts. So for a federal court to decide a state tax issue, Congress passed a law, the Tax Injunction Act, stating that if there's an adequate remedy in the state courts, that, that federal courts usually don't have a uh, place to decide the case. And, and there's, there's judicial doctrines, abstention doctrines that kind of uh, underlie that, that same reasoning. So just working through that issue in, in a federal court could take years. Likewise, we'd see delays in the state court system. You know, just because this tax became law doesn't mean that, you know, a, a company would immediately have a tax bill to contest. So, you know, courts you know, are, are 
always pesky about uh, making sure that they have a case or controversy. So, you know, in, in state court, we could see one of two methods. We could see, you know, the regular tax assessment process on up through the administrative process in the Maryland tax court. Or what's more likely is that you would see preemptive strikes, so to speak, in, in the Maryland trial courts, in the Maryland state courts called, called circuit courts. And, and those would raise issues as to whether the, the case is ripe in that forum as opposed to going through the regular tax assessment and tax court process. And, you know, it, it, would, it will help in that situation that there's a uh, constitutional issue because the, the courts in Maryland are going to be more likely to take on that case if there's a facial constitutional issue. But again, we're, we're likely to see preliminary motions and delays standing issues with respect to whether taxpayers or trade groups have been harmed by the tax and, and, and how ripe it is. A trade group asserting the tax, you know, if they're not a taxpayer themselves, they could run, run into standing problems as well. So it sounds like there are plenty of challenges that uh, taxpayers are going to have to overcome just to get in front of courts and uh, raise these arguments that you've talked about earlier. Right. And so I, I think that uh, Jerry's point is is dead on. And that's why I mentioned the example in Florida, because, you know, the thoughtful, the most effective way to, to address this issue is a thoughtful legislative process, you know, as opposed to passing the law and then dusting off the cover and seeing what's inside. Yeah, well, based on what Jerry has said, I'm not sure I want to take a deep look into what's inside. Right. <laughs> Fair point. Jerry, Mike, Dave. Thank you so much for joining today and illuminating our minds on the world of digital uh, advertising taxation. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. I know that this was a long episode, but I hope that it helped you to see more clearly the policy issues in taxing digital advertising. If you have any questions for Jerry, Mike, or Dave, their contact information is in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening, and until next week, this is Matt Hunsaker for The State Tax Show. The State Tax Show podcast is produced by Baker & Hostetler, LLP, and is for informational purposes only. It is intended to inform our clients and other friends of the firm about current legal developments of general interest. Issues discussed should not be construed as legal advice, and listeners should not act upon the information contained in this podcast without professional counsel. In some jurisdictions, this podcast may constitute attorney advertising. The hiring of a lawyer is an important decision that should not be based solely upon advertisements. Please visit BakerLaw.com for more information about our practices and experience.